A reading from the second letter of Paul to Timothy. As for you, always be steady, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. As for me, I am already being poured out as a libation, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. From now on there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Do your best to come to, come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him, to, and bring him with you, for he is useful in my ministry. I have sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. The word of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. This evening we are observing the Feast of St. Luke. And so I'd like to begin tonight with a sketch of his life and then end by reflecting on his life through the lens of our epistle lesson. And I, I want to remind you, or if you weren't with us uh, several weeks ago when we celebrated the Feast of St. Matthew, that as, as Louis so masterfully described, the saints are, are prisms through which we can see more of God's glory. Scriptures tell us that God is glorified in his saints, and so it behooves us, it, it does us well to consider their lives and to give them honor. And so tonight we would do that with St. Luke. Tradition tells us that St. Luke grew up in Antioch in Syria. And so before I go any further, I would just remind you that we have many brothers and sisters in Syria who desperately need our prayers. The church in the Middle East is being dismantled. The least we can do is pray for our brothers and sisters. So let's be faithful in praying for our Syrian brothers and sisters in Christ. In Luke's day, Antioch was a thriving city, and her citizens were well-educated. They enjoyed knowledge and artistic taste. And Luke himself was a very educated man. He was a physician, a surgeon, a historian, and a painter. And at some point in his life, he heard the rumors of a Jewish rabbi who was performing miracles in Palestine. And this rabbi taught with an authority as yet unseen, and so Luke traveled to Galilee to see this Jesus. It's quite likely that St. Luke was among the 70 disciples sent out by our Lord to take the good news of God's kingdom throughout the land of Israel. And subsequently, St. Luke wrote a two-volume work on the life and ministry of Jesus. The first is the Gospel according to St. Luke, and the sequel is the Acts of the Apostles, which really, I think, when read correctly, is more a book that should be titled The Acts of the Ascended Christ Through His Mystical Body, the Church. But that's a little too long, so we just call it Acts. 
In sheer word count, that makes Luke the primary contributor to the New Testament. He authored over a fourth of the entire New Testament. And if you've said evening prayer in the Anglican tradition, you have recited his poetic words over and over and over again every day in the Magnificat and in the Nunc Dimittis. Luke's written Greek was more polished than most of the rest of the New Testament, and his historical method and narrative abilities are breathtaking. There are so many different lenses that you can use to read Luke's gospel. One of them that I've found really fascinating is to read it through the lens of eating and drinking. He just goes from feast to feast in the life of Christ. He's a masterful writer. His grasp of the Mosaic law and the Jewish imagination is incredible considering his own status as a Gentile outsider. After Christ's ascension, St. Luke dedicated his life to spreading the message of good news about the crucified king who defeated death on behalf of all humanity. He worked especially in the region of Greece and Macedonia to establish churches, and most of the rest of his life was spent traveling with the Apostle Paul conspiring with him in the work of ministry, serving him as his personal physician, which if you've read anything about the Apostle Paul's life, you know that that's quite a feat to be the personal physician to a man who gets the snot beat out of him on the reg, as the kids would say. As we heard in St. Paul's letter to St. Timothy just now, when everyone else abandoned him, St. Luke remained steadfast. We're told that after St. Paul's execution, St. Luke continued to minister in Italy and Macedonia and Greece, and eventually, even as a very elderly man, he traveled as far as Libya and Egypt, helping to establish the church in Alexandria, before he was eventually martyred at age 84, being crucified to an olive tree in western Greece. When I said that Luke was a painter... Really what I meant to say is he was the first iconographer of the church. He wrote an icon of the Theotokos, very much like the one that's back there uh, as you enter the nave, holding the Christ child in her arms. And he, by all accounts, began that tradition of the church to uh, give honor to the saints and, and allow us to have windows into heaven. And I think taken all together, Luke's abilities as a physician as a historian, as a writer, as an artist, it's not hard to imagine that people were drawn to someone like him. He's smart, he's talented, he's interesting. And I realize that this may sound like pandering, but I mean it honestly, he reminds me a lot of you guys. I mean, even just the physician aspect alone, given the number of doctors we have here, we should probably change our parish name to St. Luke's, but we've already got all the logos and stuff, so, you know. But beyond just the medicine connection, we're a pretty well-educated group. We live in a city that, for the most part, prizes artistic and intellectual engagement. And again, I, I'm not blowing smoke. I, I love hearing about the work that you guys are doing in our city. To the point that I get distracted from my own work as your pastor because I get so jazzed about the stuff that you're up to. We have entrepreneurs and educators and artists and physicians and builders and baristas and gardeners. I mean, you guys are doing amazing work in and around the city, and there's a vitally important theology of work that could be teased out looking at St. Luke's life. 
But that's a homily for another time. Tonight, what I'd like to draw your attention to, especially those of you for whom St. Luke might be, in some sense, a patron saint, you physicians, artists, bachelors, butchers, surgeons, what I'd like you to see is that for all of St. Luke's abilities and talents, for having written over one-fourth of the New Testament, a set of books read more than just about any other in the entire world, we actually know surprisingly little about him. St. Luke seemed to understand his own life as a good iconographer would, as a window. As a window, he invites us to look through him to see the beauty of Christ, to see what he saw, putting Christ on display. St. Luke could have spent his life in any number of ways. He could have likely led a very rich life, never getting bored, allowing himself any number of intellectual or artistic pursuits, engaging in the lavish pleasures of those of high status. And it's not as though he didn't have opportunity to use his abilities in fulfilling ways. He did. But if it's not already obvious, he didn't use his talents for his own gain and notoriety. St. Luke had his imagination and his gut-level desires captured by Christ. So he used his skills as a physician and a healer to serve St. Paul, no doubt nursing him after he was nearly stoned to death or beaten with rods or lashed or it just goes on and on. St. Luke used his abilities as a writer and a historian to set out an account of the revealing of God's eternal secret in Christ in order to instruct and edify those who were entering the church. I have set out for you, Theophilus, an orderly account so that you might be further instructed in the faith, right? He used his talent as a painter to meditate upon the mystery of the incarnation and the beauty of the Virgin Mary's yes to God. He spent his time and his money traveling at a time when travel was at best incredibly dangerous. And he traveled throughout the Mediterranean basin, strengthening the churches and confronting the principalities and powers with the news that death has been defeated in Jesus Christ. Each one of you here has been given important work to do in this world. And it is work that only you can accomplish. It's the work that has been given you to do, and it is work that can be done to God's glory. John Henry Newman, who was a big Anglican hero who eventually converted and became a cardinal in the Roman Catholic Church, he was actually canonized last week as a saint in the Roman Catholic Church. And he had this to say. He said, God has created me to do him some definite service. He has committed some work to me which he has not committed to another. I have my mission. I may never know it in this life, but I shall be told it in the next. I am a link in a chain, a bond of connection between persons. He has not created me for nothing. I shall do good. I shall do his work. I shall be an angel of peace, a preacher of truth in my own place. Therefore, I will trust him. Whatever I am, I can never be thrown away. 
If I am in sickness, my sickness may serve him. In perplexity, my perplexity may serve him. If I am in sorrow, my sorrow may serve him. He does nothing in vain. He knows what he is about. He may take away my friends. He may throw me among strangers. He may make me feel desolate, make my spirit sink, hide my future from me. Still, he knows what he is about. The reading that we just heard from 2 Timothy, Paul says that he is being poured out as a libation, as a drink offering. This is a reference to the oblations offered in the temple worship. And the the significance of it is is that effectively God was drinking wine with his people so that he could delight in his creation. And one of the things that's interesting about the drink offering in the Old Testament is that it was given to the people through Moses, right? While they were still outside of the land, but it was one sacrifice that was never allowed to be offered until they were in the land. And one of the things about that is that the drink offering is a sign of celebration and rest that comes on the other side of labor and accomplishment. And so what St. Paul is telling Timothy is that he has labored hard, he has put in the work, and in so doing, he is pouring himself out as a libation as a refreshing, joyfully inebriating drink unto God. And that John Henry Newman quote is obviously a riff off of St. Paul's own words that he has found the secret of contentment in all states of life, knowing that Christ will lead him till the end, whatever that end may be. And we see him now handing off his apostolic authority to the Bishop Timothy, saying he has run his race and he is being poured out as this beautiful drink offering unto God. And I think that same trust is on display in the life of St. Luke. He too poured himself out like a drink offering unto the Lord, laboring in God's world until he met his end. The thread that connects Saints Paul, Newman, Timothy, Luke, and all the others is their willingness to be directed by the Spirit until the end. As many of the Desert Fathers would say, all of life is a struggle in prayer until the last breath, to allow ourselves to be led by the Spirit until the end. But here's the thing, their faithfulness wasn't a sort of grit your teeth and get through this suffering sort of exercise. Rather, they had had their imaginations so radically reconfigured by their experience of Christ, which is to say their experience of the suffering of God, that they recognized in their bodies, in their very life, what centuries later Pascal would articulate, that Christ is in agony until the end of the world. So they went about filling up what was lacking in the sufferings of Christ, taking the good news to all people. As Christ himself said, he has come that we might have life and have it to the full. I think one of the things that honoring the lives of the saints causes us to recognize is that we cannot read that idea of life to the full back into our American dream life. We have to understand it as it is pictured for us in the history that Christ creates and himself undergoes. We have to understand full life as it is displayed in the lives of his saints.
If you notice, most of the times when we celebrate a feast day of a saint, I'm wearing red. This is the color of martyrs. This is life to the full. If Christ is the giver of a full life, then whatever a full life might mean, it doesn't require traveling the world. Christ didn't do that. A full life does not require sex and marriage. Christ didn't do that. A full life doesn't require owning property. Christ had none. It doesn't require a successful career. Christ had none. It doesn't require a retirement account. Christ had none. And all I can say to that is, behold, a mystery. Unless a kernel of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And so, St. Luke, pray for us that we would lay down our lives for the sake of the kingdom and our crucified king, only to be given our lives back in glory and immortality in the resurrection. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.